0: Again we hey. enter the nope, that really didn't work at all in it, I,
1: I mean it's just a response to you. It doesn't have to be exactly what you say.
0: Well, but it's not a response because I hadn't actually said.
1: Well, well I'm well. I'm greeting you just because you don't greet me first doesn't mean I can't greet you.
0: How about you take over the show?
1: Hey, I'm welcome back. <laughs> Welcome to another episode of Thinking Like a Lawyer. Hey,
0: I'm going to interrupt you for no reason, just to be a
2: scotch.
1: Well, that is a reason, right? Mm. So it's not yeah. no reason. So maybe your logic, good theme is not. Self defeating isn't it
2: the was. great best. Isn't the best way to reason.
1: <laughs> uh, I'm Catherine Urbino. That's Joe Patrice, and joined by Chris Williams. We are all from above the law, and this is Thinking Like a Lawyer, where we talk about the le- legal stories from the week that was.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay, that's not bad.
1: It's not terrible. It's not that hard what you do, Joe.
0: What's that? Small talk. We're going to have a little bit of small talk? Okay.
1: Did anybody do anything fun over the last uh, week or so? No. Wow. Okay, that was... That was... Okay, we're just going to end segment.
2: The, <laughs> I saw the, uh, the live-action adaptation of Avatar The Last Airbender. Oh. Uh, it's on Netflix. And it was interesting. Did they successfully bend air? One person did, and there was a an. an That's the main that character, did. Bob I mean, Avatar, Robert. right? <laughs> <laughs> no, you're thinking of his older cousin. He died in the ah. uh, genocide. No, ah. um, but yeah. So Ang was done well. The casting was pretty good for most of the characters. Um, I will say for anybody that watched the show and. Had King Boomy as one of their favorite characters. Prepare for disappointment. They butchered mm-hmm. my boy. But other than that, it was nice to see. It was nice to see Iro in the flesh, um, as opposed, to, I guess, in the in the pigment or however you would describe a animated character. But yeah, it was it was it was cool to see.
1: Well, I spent some time in Boston uh, over the weekend, and it is ch- chilly chilly, chilly, chilly. I'm, I kind of like living in that false spring kind of mentality where I feel like it should, I should not have to wear a jacket, like maybe like, or a winter coat, I should say I should wear a jacket. I enjoy a jacket moment. The coat is where you kind of like lose me. Uh, But That's called global warming.
0: (laughs) Well, or or in this instance, it wasn't enough warming for you. It was, it was
1: pretty, pretty freaking cold, but you know, as a, Northern city, I suppose. All the buildings I was in were very, very well heated. One may say too well heated. So I was in that awkward position of feeling like you know, oh, I'll bust back out the sweaters, and then immediately regretting my decision.
0: Yeah, it's been uh, it's been busy uh around here. We've uh, you know, like uh, I've been that running doesn't back sound and busy.
1: Forth. Just to be clear, <laughs>
0: what? Yeah, it's been a very, very busy time around uh the above the law universe. Uh, we're. You know, I've been hopping back and forth to various conferences and stuff like that. So I've not really had much time to do anything outside of work. Uh, I hope to be able to do that in maybe a week. I will get free. <laughs> that's, that's what my calendar is currently looking like.
1: Fair enough. Well, that wasn't a very exciting small talk segment, but I guess we'll take it.
0: I mean, that's on you. You're the one leading the show.
1: <laughs> oh, am I officially leading it now? Well then, uh, perhaps we should talk about my top story of the week.
2: Oh, okay. Let's see. And do also that. and also listeners, we just need y'all to share this podcast because if this becomes the best one with Captain leading <laughs> it, Joe will lose sleep. So please. <laughs> I, I could not be happier
0: if that's if you were a
1: petty as I am, please. <laughs> could not be happier
0: if that happened. Yeah. All right.
1: So last week, actually on Friday, so it hasn't had a ton of time yet on the website, but I think it uh, speaks to a couple of trends in the industry that we're seeing. Uh, We got reports that a top 50 big law firm, Arnold and Porter, has decided to crack the whip when it comes to their in-office attendance policy. Not the first firm that's done that. Uh, apparently at the firm, their policy is that you have to be in the office 50% of the time. So, you know, depend, not on a week-by-week basis, but sort of overall, you have to be in there uh, half, half of the time. And uh, according to uh, insiders... They found out they did kind of a spot check to see how many au- attorneys were actually like living up to, you know, what they were doing, whatever, and they discovered that about 40 percent of the attorneys uh, were in the office less than 25 percent of the time. Oh. So that's not, that's not what they were hoping for. (laughs) Yeah. So they decided to, they're, they're using the technology available to them to make it very clear that you absolutely have to be in the office. So attendance is going to be captured by docking your computer uh, uh, and logging on to the firm uh, uh, website, Wi-Fi rather. And, you know, if you're out of the office for some sort of justified reasons, if you're on vacation, if you're at a client's office, if you're in court, whatever, you just have to Let folks uh, know, and but if you do not meet that fifty percent threshold, then you get emails from your practice chair, office heads, et cetera. Uh, And if you have continued issues with uh, your attendance policy, that could uh, include the loss of your remote work options entirely. uh, It can have an impact on your evaluations, promotions, an effect on your bonus. All of those sorts of things they've built in um, sort of a caveat that if there's some sort of extenuating circumstances, sure. you know, you can let folks know, uh, but they are serious about being in the office.
0: I struggle with this uh, a lot. I feel like this is one of those situations that there's not really a good way of doing this. Uh, when you start penalizing people for coming to the office, you're just alienating them uh, they many of these people knew that they were highly productive during the pandemic when they weren't in the office. So why Mm -hmm. should they have to go back? That said the next generation is going to only learn by having people around. So you need yeah. people to do something.
2: We've
1: written about this as well. There are law firm leaders that have gone on record saying that the associate classes that started during the pandemic or you know, otherwise during fully remote or mostly remote times are not developing as well and as quickly as they would expect. Mm-hmm. So there is a clear issue that big law is happening. And then the question, of course, is whether or not, you know, it is a mid-level associate who's been billing or a senior associate or junior partner who's been billing, 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 whether or not it's their responsibility to train up the sort of next generation of lawyers, right? Because they're, you don't get evaluated about your ability to sort of mentor a first-year associate. You know, you get bit graded sort of at a big law about your ability to bill. And if that's what you're doing from home, perhaps even more effectively, should you go to the office or, you know, kind of the counter? And I probably firm leadership thinks that this is true, that you part of what your job is also is to train new lawyers to kind of keep because that's the firm needs that, right? Like big law is very much a kind of a burn and churn environment. The people that they hire in any given year, most of them are not going to be there in five years. Very, very few are going to be there in ten. So you know, they need that kind of constant stream of educating and building up new lawyers in order to maintain the quality of their work as a firm overall. Um, so I think it's kind of an, an a weird position that the firm is putting associates in.
0: This is not the way to go about this, as far as I can tell, because there are many other firms that people can easily go to. Uh, you don't want to, like the lateral, as you point out, the the lateral churn is high enough already mm-hmm firms that set themselves up as, we are going to take away your money if you aren't here, become, you know, they're not really good targets for bringing in new laterals, and they're uh, good exit targets for people who are there already. The only way this is gonna work is if a firm spends real time trying to think through how to bring people back to the office in an organic and positive, incentivized way thing having fun things there like it's cliche all of these like tech companies that are like instead of giving you a raise we put in a ping pong table but (laughs) there is something to that uh the more you can have the office be seen as the sort of place that you want to go uh whether there's events being set up whether there's you know a free cafeteria whether there's uh like those kinds of perks aren't replacements for paying people, but they very much are reasons why somebody might choose to go to the office rather than stay at home.
1: I think another sort of avenue along the, that line is, you know, especially in city environments, you know, your sort of your New York offices, not everybody has the space or the setup that is ideal for sitting and doing tremendous amounts of work. I think investing in m- multiple different options for setups in the office, whether it's, you know. Uh, kneeling chairs, stand-up desks, you know, those treadmill walk stations, kind of branching out the ways that you can work from the office that are potentially superior to your studio apartment that you maybe share with somebody, right? I think that, you know, making that as desirable as possible is also a way to say like, yes, it would be nice to, to, I know I have to work for Ten hours on this. If I had a great chair, it would make my life better. it would make my back feel better.
0: Well there's the that, that's the argument for paying everybody less than they uh then they can't afford the one bedroom that's comfortable to work from home in. So <laughs> you wanna have them in to, Well, yeah. I
1: mean, even even if they do have a comfortable environment, having multiple options at a firm, I think is a potential way to get people in because some days, you know, you might feel like, you know, a big cozy chair. Some days you may feel like a kneeling desk, you know. And I mean, I I think having options is awesome and that is a benefit to having a large corporate space.
0: I've been I've done some office tours even before the pandemic that were starting to lean into the idea of having multiple collab kinds of collaborative spaces mm-hmm. not just leaning more into conference rooms and stuff like that but having more You know, in this corner is one of those kind of eggshell couches Mm -hmm. that looks out over the city Skyline. And over here we have a loungy couch area, whatever. And they were really trying to encourage people to utilize different kinds of spaces for the different needs they have. Uh, You know, we're in an era of remote connectivity that you don't need to be at a desk for somebody to call you if they need you. Like, they can ping you other ways. And if you do that, then maybe there are other ways that you can enjoy your time in the office.
1: Yeah, I mean, one of the advantages that an in-office has over working from home is space, Mm -hmm. right? So utilizing that and thinking about that as sort of the the difference maker and something that would convince people to go into the office, I think is worth their time and energy.
0: There's a bit of a grand irony that the prevalence of online, the ability to do the work online led to firms destroying the gorgeous libraries they used to have, and now the library is exactly the sort of place that I think people might want to have if they were going to go into the office. Mm -hmm. That's the kind of place that you do enjoy getting lost into a little nook and cranny and sitting down and doing your work.
1: And I I think you're 100% right that sort of just providing different options and different venues, I think, will have results for first. Bring back
0: the libraries. Yeah. That's I like the that. answer. They are like so that. they like we're, we're taking take. a bold stance.
1: Anti technology. What are they going to say about this on your technology it, it, podcast?
0: Well, one, I mean law librarians <laughs> are very much the tech leaders, so they would love it. Uh no, but as a as an as a design element, the library is indicative of the kind of architecture that you want if you want to be inviting mm-hmm. people back. I think that's that's our gonna that's
2: gonna Hot be take. our take. I like it. I wonder how often people at doing the PR at the firms read these emails and cringe because I feel like it's only a matter of time before one of the firms forcing more in-person attendance becomes a long COVID hotbed. And that's one of the consequences of acting, like of of forcing interaction. Like, yes, you might have people who are new getting more like, you know, just touch information, but they're also (laughs) touching, you know, germies and whatnot. And it's only a matter of time before something like that happens.
0: I mean, I mean that that time happened. Uh, like mm-hmm. and the the people who kind of forced folks back back when COVID was like a real, real serious thing. Uh, so I'm it, talking this, about long uh, COVID.
2: I don't know if people were really aware of the effects of long COVID back then.
0: Sure, but uh, I I view long COVID as something where the the COVID was contracted a while ago, uh, and it's just like the continuing effects of it. Uh, the new new exposure is less likely to be the issue it's that you got it sometime before there was a vaccine and now five you know four years later you're still suffering mm-hmm. it, but that i don't know so that's the that's something that the proximity of workspace deals with
2: well i mean the library you know like libraries. people just hanging out at the libraries and you know just having like yeah. few chairs and then not wiping down after each other and then you know
0: yeah exactly that'll be fine
2: uh okay cool
0: this is where you take us to a break, Catherine.
1: Oh, I forgot that I was in charge again.
0: I, uh, yeah, see, like, <laughs> it's hard, isn't it, to, like, keep uh, track of things? I wouldn't
1: say that. Uh, I was just trying to multitask. Uh, but we will see you on the other side of this break.
0: McDermott, Will & Emery is Vault's number one law firm for associate satisfaction three years running. Why? Because they're doing big law better. At McDermott, you define what your success looks like. They help you achieve it. McDermott's award-winning professional development program and hands-on mentorship propel you toward your goals, while the industry-leading wellness benefits help you feel your best so you can do your best. Want to see how your life could be better at McDermott? Head to mwe.com slash above the law. Calidus AI cleverly supports you by suggesting relevant law to address your complex issues. Put in simple questions or longer fact patterns, then Calidus asks you to confirm if points are salient before proceeding. Use Calidus to check if you found all the key concepts, cases, and statutes. Calidus turns that into a high-quality, customer-ready document. Handle complexity confidently with Legal's most advanced AI platform. Get $90 off your first two months. Use promo code Joe at CalidusAI.com. That's C-A-L-L-I-D-U-S-A-I.com.
1: Okay, I am apparently still in charge then. I guess we can talk about uh, one of your favorite r- repeat topics, somebody that you have spilled quite a bit of digital ink over. Oh, yeah. Uh, our our good friend and yours, Professor Amy Wax.
0: Yeah, so Amy Wax, who uh, rose to prominence uh, uh, in our pages when she started writing op-eds about how white people are better. So, you know, not exactly... Uh, not exactly doing uh, a great job as a scholar. Uh, the, <laughs> she, that, she that,
1: you get you get credit there for the understatement uh, of that that particular. Well,
0: and I want to clarify this: like it, it, the the argument in her defense always is academic freedom, but it's it's a bogus argument, right? Because it's not as though she's writing scholarly works about anything here. Like when she is confronted with, when she was confronted by a journalist about backing up the specific cause all she's writing are op-eds and newspaper, letters to the editors kind of stuff. She's not writing, you know, journal articles and getting peer-reviewed or anything like that. She's spouting off her random thoughts and going on podcasts. And when a journalist asked her to provide any evidentiary support for some of the things she was saying, she sent them a, a Wikipedia site, which not exactly where academic freedom was designed to protect, I don't Mm -hmm. really think. Uh, So she started doing all that, going to white nationalism conferences, stuff like that, at which point she then started adding, speaking out of turn about, Uh, Her hypothesis that black students at Penn weren't actually graduating with good grades. To uh, be clear,
1: she did not present it as a hypothesis. She presented it as, well, that's just true. Right. And only when you realized she actually didn't have access to the information in order to make that statement of truth or fact that you realized, oh, this is
0: just your racism showing. Yes. Uh, She uh, expanded this to talk about how law school's worse now that Women go to it, and she also then expanded into a discussion that America needs fewer Asians. These
2: well, we always had to respect uh, equal
0: opportunity discriminators. Uh, you know what? She she's 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 got a broad portfolio. Anyway, <laughs> she then started inviting a known white nationalist, uh, recognized hate group representative to campus to just chat with her class. This is the part where it finally got the university to get over their gun-shy fear of irritating people who cry academic freedom all the time and do something about it. They initiated an independent report, uh, referred it to the Faculty Senate, uh, and there was some sort of resolution to that, which she has then appealed, and that process is ongoing because, of course, they weren't able to do anything about it in a short amount of time. Fast forward, what we just learned, well, the, the new development here is we've never really known what the Faculty Senate Hearing Board suggested the punishment be that she felt the need to appeal. So, you know, you kind of thought, like, are they saying she should lose tenure or fire her or something like that? Maybe that's why she's appealing this. Uh, the, actually, all that they did was suggest that she have to, her pay be docked by half for a one year. But otherwise, she gets to do everything else.
1: Oh, this this says more about Penn than it does about Amy Wax.
0: Yeah, remember, Penn was the school that uh, had to, where people forced out the president of the university, for, uh, arguing that too woke. Yeah, uh, that you know they didn't respect didn't respect free speech or whatever, and it's like it's, they clearly don't care. They're they're, they're keeping <laughs> they're doing everything they can to keep this person still working there, despite look and. You could say that her random op-ed stuff is academic freedom. I don't think that's a very good argument, considering that there's no evidence behind it, and it's just—it's uh, not peer-reviewed or anything like that. But you could argue that's a professor espousing unorthodox views that should be protected. But at the point she starts attacking the students themselves in the in there, sure. that, that is no longer an academic freedom discussion. This now becomes you are. This is a discrimination in the workplace problem. Uh, you as the professor is gone. It is now you as the employee are violating uh, You are know, creating a hostile work environment. I don't understand why this is taking any time at all. This should have been a firing at least three years ago, if not
2: five.
1: Yeah, but that seems unlikely to happen. Given-
0: yeah.
2: So she continues to be a drag on Penn. I just know if she gets fired, she's going to become a congresswoman. That's generally how the trajectory goes. Well,
0: she's not a particularly engaging speaker, so there is that. Yeah, there's some overlap. (laughs) But she is a fundraiser. She still uh, has up a fundraiser for the Amy Wax Legal Defense Fund, uh, which she, on her website, claims is a tax-deductible donation, which is not how the tax code works. Uh, The tax code would not allow you to... Create a charitable foundation for the benefit of one person. Nonetheless, that is how she advertises it on her site. This. It's not like she's a teacher of law or anything. (laughs) This has. I have written about this. uh, Our tax law expert columnist has written about this. This seems like an issue, uh, but no legal entity, law enforcement entity, has yet done anything about it. So we'll see. We'll see.
1: All right, well, on that happy note, we will take a quick break and see you on the other side.
0: Hey, Gee, what's up? Just having some lunch, Conrad. Hey, Gee, do you see that billboard out there? Oh, you mean that guy out there in the gray suit? Yeah, the gray suit guy. Order up. There's uh, all those beautiful, rich, leather bound books in the background. That is exactly the one. That's JD McGuffin at Law. He'll fight for you.
1: Okay, and for our last story of today, we'll turn to the federal judiciary, where at least one uh, Republican-appointed federal judge has learned that a lifetime appointment means you don't actually have to kowtow to Donald Trump anymore. Judge Reggie Walton was appointed by George Bush, uh, well, actually both Bushes, at diff- to different positions uh, throughout the course of his career. So very much a Republican judge, known for being tough on crime, and was sitting uh, and sentencing somebody in one of the uh, January 6th insurrection cases. Somebody pled guilty to two felonies, and he was sentencing them to some jail time and took that opportunity to reflect on January 6th and you know said that the specter of January 6th continues to haunt us uh, and that he's worried that that continued rhetoric uh, will... Will have a similar impact in 2024 and also specifically called out Donald Trump's manhood. Uh, Yeah, it was a weird, well, you know, a weird turn of phrase, I guess. But Walton said that, you know, at least Al Gore, when he lost the 2000 election, took it, was a man about it because he actually conceded defeat as opposed to do all the things that Donald Trump did, uh, which, you know, yeah, you, you gotta, you gotta love that that burst of honesty there. It was definitely a, uh, it was definitely a, a moment. I'm not sure that that kind of uh, dicta is something you want to be doing all the time, but it was definitely an enjoyable moment. I think for a lot of a lot of us uh, paying attention to to what was going on.
2: It's always happy to see a uh, Donald Trump get called a sore loser and. An actual court opinion.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, it was, it was not an opinion, but uh, what he, his sort of, what he was talking about during, uh, during the sentencing um, phase of the, of the case. But it was, so he said it kind of in court, but I, I definitely appreciated the way that he was very blunt about his feelings, uh, not just about January 6th, but about, sort of this sanctity of the process overall as, as we inch closer and closer to November of 2024, that a repeat of all of the disaster that happened in 2020 and early 2021 looks uh, like it's going to happen again. Right. So <laughs> the, the more folks on the right that are calling that out as problematic, I think overall we're, p- we're better off overall.
0: Yeah. You know, that way, um, yeah, it's good to know that Nikki Haley has another <laughs> voter that will get her all the way up to 10. I <laughs> Fair. Like, I, Fair. I mean, yeah, it's it's a testament to how kind of broken all of this is. It, that, and I also think it's fascinating that it, not that anyone has pushed him, nor would he say anything if you did. But the number of folks uh, who are outspoken critics of the problem, like people like Bill Barr and stuff like that, Mm -hmm. Uh, whenever anyone gets them on the record, so you're going to vote for Joe Biden in this general election, they're like, well, no, I'm still going
2: to. They'll, <laughs> they'll what, go, just, just this is a home.
0: dangerous threat to democracy, but also I'm going to vote for him anyway.
1: <laughs> well, uh, Judge Walton did not comment. Uh, Nor do
0: I think he, he would should. or would be yeah. appropriate. Or, right, yeah. right,
1: right. But it, it is it is interesting when you sort of look at the the folks on the right that are coming out against uh, sort of the worst parts of the Trump Regime. It'll be, it, it, this year is going to get interesting. Yeah. All right. Well, I think that kind of wraps us up. Thank you uh, everyone for listening. You can find us on your podcast listening service of choice. Uh, you can feel free to subscribe and give us the reviews. Um, the stars are great and we'll take them, but written reviews help us move up the algorithm and help other people find us as a legal podcast. You can find us on the social medias. The website overall is at ATL blog. I'm at Catherine1. Chris is at rights for rent. Joe is at joseph patrice or joe patrice on some of the newer social media endeavors you can also feel free to check out other offerings from the legal talk network uh, you can also find me on the jabot podcast and joe is on that legal tech journalist round table that he is close s- enough it's s- better than you do a lot of the time uh, that he is so fond of talking about uh, and have a good week y'all